Rove McManus, Sam Frost. Today FM. Rove and Sam 1041, Today FM, and we are fascinated with what other people do for a crust. Oh, absolutely. Especially if what you do for a crust is actually be a crust. <laughs> I was talking to my pie the other day and said, how did you get this job? Mm, we should we should get on to Domino's and we should. <laughs> start chatting to those pizzas. Oh, thank God someone who is very clever is in the studio. We have already tackled um, getting to know people with interesting jobs like an escort, yep. a private investigator. Oh, that was fun. And today we're going to step into the world of medicine and find out what happens if you are the person who is running the ER. And we're going to talk with someone who has the title of professor, so you know they're important. Oh. Gordian Fulder, good morning. Good morning. I'm all embarrassed, but good morning. (laughs) Welcome to the show. So uh, you are the person who is the first port of call when someone is wheeled into the ER, there's been a terrible accident, you're the person who has to tend to them. Is that pretty much correct? Oh, it's not just me. We're, well, no, there's nurses and stuff. We get that. <laughs> it's a team-based model. Mm-hmm. So, yes, the consultant in charge of that team, which could be me, uh, is the person who's got to do something when somebody gets wheeled in or even worse, when we get a bat phone. Uh, yes, Commissioner. Uh, when, which ambulance does, warning us of something horrible usually coming in, somebody mm-hmm. in cardiac arrest or somebody who's been hit by a bus, a cyclist, something like that, you know. So what's what's the worst, uh, the the worst? I don't know. Would you say accident, ailment? Like, is it here? Okay, here we go. I'm going to backtrack. Is it always just accidents, or could it be like someone who is sick as well? Like, do you have to be prepared prepared for pretty much every single yeah. possibility? You're spot on in that the, we are emergency medicine seen as a horizontal specialty. You know, because we cover everything. So somebody comes in, they're unconscious. You don't have a clue in the first instance, whether that's a stroke, brain death, overdose, uh, or they're busily dying from something else. How do you go home at night and mentally detach yourself from the trauma that you see? Well, it's easy, once you get used to it, is that it's episodic care. In other words, we have this massive surge. And remember, most of our work is mundane. Right, uh, the sex, drug, and rock and roll. Uh, it's it's there. I'm told it's fun, um, <laughs> especially the drugs. I know the drugs are definitely there. Uh, but most of the stuff is just older people breathing difficulties. Main complaint, for instance, is abdominal pain in all ages, uh, and obviously both uh, genders. Uh, we don't like abdominal pain in ladies that much because it can be more things than in a male abdomen. Um, but it's we have these big spots where suddenly all your adrenaline goes, as I say, the bat phone goes, you've got somebody who is uh, about to die and uh, you're trying hard as anything else to save them. Now, now, if I'm wheeled in and you say what's wrong and I say I have abdominal pain or I fell down and I hit my head, you have information that you can work with. If someone's been in a terrible accident or, like you say, they arrive unconscious and they can't communicate to you, how difficult is it to surmise what the situation is? It's tough. And what you do is actually you rule out things. In other words, we get you the scanner. So it's process of elimination. That's right, because society expects us to, in a very timely fashion, rule out things where we might have to, the neurosurgeon might have to drill a hole in your head and get the blood out, right? Uh, All that sort of stuff. Uh, and, And once... You get into that training and things, uh, it works. 
Right. D- but isn't there pressure on on you to get it right? Like that, I would be petrified of yeah. going. Oh, it's it's A when it turns out to be B, and it could be the difference between a person living or dying. You are very good. <laughs> One of the analogies of working in an emergency department is life in a goldfish bowl. Right. Everybody can see what you're doing. Everything you do is then seen again by somebody else uh, in the medical and other profession, and that's one of the terrors, right? But if you do your job and follow what you've been taught, you do rule out the really bad stuff where people, you know, shouldn't die. Um, You do it. Sorry if I made you sad. That first time where you are wrong, how do you deal with that emotionally? Obviously, you are very experienced. You are a professor now. You've you've lived this life for a while. But there has to be that first time when it goes wrong for you. How do you prepare yourself for that? And then when it happens, how do you deal with it? Uh, hopefully, the mistakes you make are little ones, right? And you've got other people with you. It's not just you alone, right? It's an input. But the uh, yeah, it, it's it's one of those things which you just have to live with. Right. Um, but and can you? Well, it depends on what goes wrong, right? Now, you in the media and things like that, they did uh, have done studies of uh, cardiac arrests, let's say, right, on television shows, and they come up with a ninety-plus percent survival. The reality is, if you have a cardiac arrest out in the street or somewhere in the normal world, uh, you have a mm, you know ten, twenty percent chance if you're lucky, maybe even less than ten that you will survive that. So one of the biggest problems we have is society's expectation that nobody should die. Mm. And, and that's, that's not valid. And how do you deal with uh, families that are obviously quite worried and concerned? Do you personally have to speak to the families or is that a nurse or so's job to do so? Uh, absolutely. It's one of the most important jobs. There's social workers and things. But if you have something which is, you know, we're talking about horrible stuff here, mm. but... You know, dad goes off to work and has a heart attack and dies, right? And the family comes in. You as the senior, the consultant, have to talk to them. And even if the patient comes in, I'll say uh, somebody who's overdosed at a music festival or something, the family's there while you're doing all the resuscitation and uh, all that sort of thing. Oh, absolutely, you've got to keep them uh, informed and actually looking after when something bad has happened is one of the toughest jobs in the department. But even that, if you do it well and it rips you apart, you know you've done something helpful. And in your experience, what makes, like if you, from the experiences you've had, what would be the one message you would send to people for what is most responsible for just unnecessary uh, loss pain, sadness, would it be Would it be like drink driving? Would it be people taking drugs, juggling with power tools, blindfolded? What is, what is that one thing that is preventable that for what you have seen, if you could send the message to people to say, just stop doing this, what would it be? Easy in that the, basically the heading would be that actions have consequences. Sure. In other words, if you have a couple of beers, go for it, right? But if you have 10 schooners, eh, maybe not a good call. Same thing if you pop in drugs and you think uh, whatever, that action will have consequences. Most people know it. You get behind a wheel, whatever. You can put more from where we are at St. Vincent's. 
if you're drunk and cross the road, you know, that's not really sensible. Hmm. You shouldn't have got drunk in the first place. Hmm. Yep. And there is a bit of a ice epidemic in Sydney at the moment. Like how do you... I don't, I don't even know. I, I'm not quite familiar with ice, to be perfectly honest. But do you have a lot of, uh, I guess, I, I don't really want to say, I don't know, do you say victims? Because Yeah, it's a good patience. word. Patience is a good patience. word. Patience. Yeah. It's a good word. First of all, slight correction, Sam, is that it's all through Australia. Rural uh, Australia is being absolutely uh, slaughtered by crystal met uh, and they don't have the resources for it. Uh, and so, yes, there's we see a lot of it. Fortunately, we don't see as many really violent ones when they started, but it's an increasing number. And uh, one thing I'd really like to see is people stop feeling, families stop feeling guilty when one of their one of them, you know, the son or daughter or something, is doing crystal med. Uh, talk to other people because they're not alone. Mm-hmm. And and it it is an epidemic though. It seems like it's one of those things that you know. It, People have uh, strokes, people have heart attacks. That's just one of those things that if it's going to happen, it's going to happen. But the choice to take a, a particular drug that can affect you so adversely is has got to be something that for you, seeing the results, is, is very aggravating and frustrating. Even more so, I'll give you one question. Answer me why Australia is leading in the world for amphibian-type substances. We are leaders in the world in taking per-population ecstasy. We are third in the world for taking crystal meth, and we're fourth in the world for cocaine. Oh, my goodness. So, I mean, Houston, uh, scratch out Houston, Australia, we've got a problem. Yeah. yeah. So what do you think it is? <laughs> uh, all these Too things many are, music festivals? Oh, absolutely not. They're <laughs> terrific. That's what I mean. I can understand. <laughs> I think, you know, yeah, I, I can't understand why you, when you're at a music festival, well, you have to try and get out of it, you mm. know, you think, because it's just so good mm. uh, and, and whatever. It, there's no one-liners in this, right? Um, but, yeah, why do people want to distort reality? This is such a fabulous country. Now let's talk about the good stuff. You have probably saved more lives than I could oh, ever. No, steady, steady, no, steady, you steady. Might, you must have. Don't you even oh. try to play humble right He's now. Being humble. I can guarantee that there are people listening to this. There are people walking the streets who wouldn't have, if not for people like you, and probably you specifically, because otherwise we've got someone in here who's who's killed every person that's come into their ER, oh, and that's terrifying. Goodness. So I know that that through what you've done, you would have saved a, a lot of lives. How fulfilling is it? And and what in in your History, to you, is your favourite success story, the one that you like to point to was even, you know, it looked like it was going to go horribly wrong and then it, it had a happy outcome. I actually don't remember because every time you pull somebody back from the brink, so to speak, and it's a team effort, no two ways about it. You know, one doctor now can't do anything. Even out in the street, it's even worse. You're basically doing first aid and everybody should know how to do first aid. Uh, CPR. But once they think it's a team effort, and when you get somebody alive, even to the catheter lab who's having a heart attack, they unblock the uh, artery, and that person then you see maybe a couple of years later because something else has happened, you feel good about that. you know. And they come up to you and they say, remember, da da da. That's 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 a beautiful feeling. Can you have, uh, you know, friendships with people? Have you, have you, 
you know, do you do follow-ups? I mean, so you must see so many people and there has to be some sort of emotional disconnect because you don't know what the outcome could be and you have to think clearly. But are there elements where, you know, you find out where the person is, you've caught up with them and you see them later or they come to you and there is that, that follow-up afterwards? It's only when they come back again one way or the other, right? Uh, and being a Bondi boy. So you're not swapping emails at the end of the day or following no, each other on Twitter no. or something. But it's amazing and it's fantastic because, once again, the goldfish bowl thing, right? There's all these, yeah, lots of patients and relatives seeing when bad things are happening. They don't actually see it. We draw curtains. But they can see that, you know, things are really uh, going on tough. Uh, and they really say thank you to the nursing staff, to all of us. Uh, I think we, we, we do get a lot of gratitude because they actually see that we're, we're trying real hard. And, and are you on call 24-7? Is that how it works? Or you're in for a shift and then you clock off? Well, basically it's a shift. I'm on call for 24-7 for all sorts of things, disasters and whatever, and also being the fearless leader, I'm on call 24-7. have no problem with that um, because if something has to be escalated, that's for me. And do you think that there's a problem with hospital waiting rooms or waiting beds? Because I know our family was in the emergency ward and there were just so many people like crammed into this room from all sorts of things. And, you know, and all we wanted was our own room. And yeah. And and do you think that there's a problem or how do you solve the problem of, you know, everyone waiting around? It's a bugger because one of the first things we do when a person comes to the hospital, we strip your name off you and we need a number. Without that number, we cannot uh, we cannot order tests, we can't pull your past history, we can't do zit. If you come in deeply unconscious, we just give you a number because uh, you yeah, can't chase that. And really, a hospital depersonalizes. You know, if you think about it, if your family, unfortunately, you think of those as absolutely horrible hospital gowns where people walk around with their backsides hanging out. Uh, hospitals, as they are now, are not really good for any privacy or whatever. Um, we try and work on that, but we've got so much other stuff we've got to do. Mm. We try hard. Now, we've heard good stories. We've heard bad stories. What about embarrassing stories? What's the weirdest incident you've ever had to attend from someone who's come in, no matter what the story is, to try to cover it up? <laughs> Um, I'll say it. There was a uh, film crew from BBC Four, uh, England, came over and they came and interviewed me. And all they wanted, they were doing a series on sexual misadventures. Here we go. Oh, oh right. And, uh, and uh, obviously, I'm going to show you pictures now. I'm not. <laughs> I haven't got any. But the thing is, uh, you see it all. You really see it all. It's even. Seasoned people like you, Raven, and things. So you, no, you'd be I'm amazed. You, uh, you'd be amazed uh, what goes on. And remember, every city has got its sort of uh, sin bit. Uh, within within the kilometre of St Vincent's, you can buy everything that the human weaknesses wants to have. Sure, you're right, right uh, in the cross. Yeah, and 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 so shit does happen. <laughs> And the, uh, yeah, we, we see lots. I mean, it's from, I'll just say, you know, people who lost their key and they uh, climbing in the kitchen window and they 
fall on their backside and things happen. Uh, it's always I was vacuuming in the nude and I slept. I know. Always. Do you know what? One of my girlfriends, she's a paramedic, <laughs> and she had to go to a scene where a lady was stuck on the manual gear stick, if you know what I'm saying. I think I do. Yeah. How I think I horrend- do. do you, when they come in, do you just go, really? Really, I would just kind of like passively poke fun at them all the time, but you know that's why I don't do that, and I work in radio. We, we never poke fun at them ever, right? And, Even though uh, they've got a gear stick inside no, them. No, they're, now they're I'm really they're patients. They're terribly embarrassed, and likely as not, they're in pain, and uh, oh. we got to do something about uh, you know getting things out of them. <laughs> Literally. Literally. <laughs> Oh, well, on that note, we thank you very much, Professor Gordian Fulder. Now, you can uh, catch him on the all-new King's Cross ER, which happens at tonight, 8.30 on Channel 9. Seriously, they were all vacuuming in the nude <laughs> when they slept. We thank you very much for your insight. We could chat to you for hours. Thank you very much for your time today. Thank you so much. Pleasure. We really appreciate it. Fascinating. Pleasure. Thank Fascinating. you. Fascinating.